Welcome to Chronosphere Fiction. This is your host, Daniel French. The Chronosphere is in tip-top shape thanks to Garbanzo. And what you've been waiting for, we're on course for the Gafgarn Bubbleverse. How's it look, Olive? Gafgarn docking on course. Be sure to visit some of the other bubble verses I have been crossing. Like Empty Podcast, Tunnels, Exoplanetary, Get Weird with Ostium Podcast, Take a Trip on the Bridge, Entering Gafgarn Bubbleverse. Oh, yeah, we're locked and loaded. Sit back and prepare to be blasted with Gafgarn the Eternally Unfurnished. Chapter 7 The Setup. Here we go. I still can't believe Smidgen had a wife. Gafgarn exclaimed once more from the top of the rolling carriage. Though the cops dwindled on the horizon behind him, the last words of the now very dead bandit stuck to Gafgarn like the stench of bear dung. Apparently so, Alea added. And you're sure neither of you knew? Gafgarn asked, gesturing at his two underlings. Doran raised his hands in innocence. Nay, he never spoke a word of it, Gaff. He wasn't one to talk about his personals anyway. We weren't with his outfit long enough to know much about him, sir. Sully added. Doran's right. He wasn't exactly open about his past. We took his orders and guarded the camp. That's just about it. How long were you with him? Myself? Um, a little over a year, I think. Doran was there before me. Aye, a few years in the gang. But that was hardly his go-to. I just took care of chores and guarded the wall. Some heists, but always just another pair of eyes. For a couple of lookouts, you two didn't do so badly back there. And he pointed a meaty finger at Doran. Except you need to work on your lead feet. Mine are stuck in metal. And you're the one that almost got us killed, dragging yours like a couple of anvils. Oi, the rock was covered with dirt and leaves. How was I supposed to know? No excuses. You're not just a lookout anymore. Read the land. Learn to be more careful and precise. It's not just your life on the line. Remember that. <sighs> If I were with my people, we would have cleared the wood without any of them noticing. It wouldn't even have broke a sweat. Sorry, boss, but it didn't look like you minded too much at the time. Gafgarn allowed a tiny smirk to grace his stony visage. It was a fun little row. It was nice to let loose a little. Aleda nodded at Amadi, riding her horse next to her on the trail. Our new friend here was impressive. All turned to Aleda in response to her unfamiliar tone of reserved esteem like the light of a rising sun peeking out beyond the dark horizon. Amadi nodded her head, nestled in the shadow of her white hat, and said, Thank you. I've killed many criminals with this blade since I was young. Looks as if you've been doing the same. Gafgarn found the warmth of the moment between the two women startling, like the rare red wolves of his country. Suddenly he wished he could have seen Elena in action himself. The group traveled through the countryside, filled with farmland, Simple cottages and barns of wood and thatch stood lonely and serene amid expansive fields of grain, potatoes, and lettuce. 
the day was pleasantly clear, with the sound of birdsong and farmer's tools accompanying the party's trek. They saw no one other than straw-hatted farmers until they neared the dense city that loomed at the end of the road. A great wooden palisade circled a gently rolling acropolis built atop three large hills. A stone keep crowned each hill, with crenellated walls surrounding them. The largest hill lay furthest into the city, the largest keep atop it, overlooking the city like a monolithic sentinel. Unlike Hosto, the construction here was more predictable, with notably less wobbly or leaning architecture. Outside the walled keeps, the Acropolis was a mix of wooden and stone buildings, with tapered or flat thatched and tiled roofing. Cobblestone boulevards lined with ostentatious gated estates wound about the hills, shining in the daylight like glistening serpents. The group approached the palisade, entering the city through a wooden gatehouse flanked by towers populated with archers. Smells of food, human waste, and livestock overpowered the senses immediately, and the sounds of musical taverns, aggressive merchants, bedraggled beggars, and scintillating brothels created a discordant symphony of human activity. Here, below the splendor on the hills, muddy streets teemed with common folk who lazily made way for Gafgarn's gang. Many gave sidelong glances at Amadi and Gafgarn with mild curiosity. The main streets were wide enough that the carriage and two horses could have rode side by side if not for the throng of people around them. Wither led them down a main boulevard flanked by shops and various inns. Other streets met the main thoroughfare at odd angles and shadowy alleyways threaded between buildings. Graffiti and posters decorating their walls. A reoccurring picture was a fox ready to pounce with a spear in its jaws. Out of these alleys scurried children, many in little more than rags. Some sat by the road's edge with mournful eyes gazing at passers-by, or just as intensely into nothing. Others ran with upraised palms to strangers clamoring with their tiny strained voices for any crumb or coin they might earn through pity. Amadi responded to the display with a look that somehow expressed both resentment and empathy. Afgarn thought he understood. His people raised their children to earn their keep. It was important to learn that overcoming struggle was a part of life, but the sad weakness before him was worse than a dusty, empty mead barrel. What kind of people allow such squalor to befall their young? Amadi asked no one in particular. Well, yeah, the great people of the kingdoms, of course! Must be an orphanage nearby. What? An orphanage. Many of the larger cities have them. The different kingdoms war all the time. Wars take parents from children, and so does the crime at home. A lot of kids are left in orphanages. Amadi watched as a group of raggedy urchins approached another passerby and begged profusely. She noticed a smaller child sneak behind the would-be benefactor to pilfer a small pouch on his belt. And these orphanages let these children starve and steal? Not always. There are punishments waiting for these ones. But many don't want the lives the Church of the Void builds for them in the orphanages. They're given only enough to keep living, taught only the cosmonomicon, and are rarely shown anything other than cold discipline. In a world that's forgotten them, why wouldn't they take what they'll never be given? Sully watched the children intently, a faraway look on her face. Amadi brought her horse closer to Sully, who sat on the carriage and leaned in as she spoke to her. Because it's thievery. The crime against these children does not beget more crime from them. There's still a choice. Sully's face twisted into a sneer. If there's another way, I don't see it. 
All I see is survival. What survives? Filth? I can't believe this is allowed. Well, believe it. Amati moved her shaggy mare away from the carriage with a huff. Sully sat, rocking on the bench next to Wither, wearing a loathsome frown. She could have mentioned she was raised in one of those orphanages. She could have argued that she was more than just filth, but something stopped her. She wasn't sure if it was anger or shame. Gafgarn's grumble interrupted her thoughts as he asked, Cosmonomicon! Dorn responded from the opposite edge of the carriage rooftop. It's a book, Gaff! From the Church of the Void! Book of beasties and critters and scary whatsies and whoosies out in the great void around the earth. They's living out on other planes and such, waiting to eat us or love us or judge us or whatever you. Gods and the godlike, supposedly. Gafgarn remembered the statue in Hosto's church, a great mass of tentacles with eyeballs instead of suckers. He wondered momentarily what kind of creature it was supposed to be, but quickly dismissed it as absurd. Gods existed in the earth itself and its plants, soil, skies, and seas, not out in the shapeless, sparkling darkness seen at night. Begging children and monsters, the kingdoms are a strange place. Beyond a bend in the main road, Elena pointed Wither towards a large building, and they made their way to it. Parking the coach in its stable, Wither paid the stable master for everyone's bill. Then they left their horses for the inn. Above its entrance was a hanging sign painted with a skeleton, pouring a liquid from a flagon into its mouth the content spilling through its bones to puddle beneath its skeletal feet. Below the illustration was the title, The Wasted Cadaver. Each entered, Gafgarn regarding the sign with amusement. Amadi led the rear, taking a moment to scan the street before entering. Aleda made her way directly for the bar, winding her way through a large room full of thick round tables. It being midday, only a few were occupied with lunchtime diners. Several strong-looking men and women stood cross-armed at the entrance and around the inn, their eyes scanning the group with the careful boredom of hired muscle. They paid special attention to Gafgarn and Amadi, their clothing, Gafgarn's size, and Amadi's serene but guarded demeanor, all details indicating them as curious, if not dangerous, outsiders. As they neared the bar, Gafgarn could make out a balding head behind the counter. It only just rose above the bar a porcelain mound with thinning red hair. The head turned to the approaching Aleda, bushy eyebrows rising and a smile emerging with a bushy, lengthy beard. Two muscular arms raised in welcome when Aleda leaned on the counter bearing a grin of her own. He spoke with a luscious, gracious voice. Aleda, my favorite one-eyed demoness of the hunt. To what do I owe the pleasure? Artag, good to see you. The place is still standing, so things must be going well. Aye. As good as can be in a city like Estelring, things as they've been, lass, the wasted cadaver might find itself situated firmly in the chaotic midst of mayhem. But that's the way it always is, eh? You be needing a room, then? Several. First, do you have a moment? For the guild? Always. Let's have a chat in my office. He made to move, then stopped when he noticed Wither. Artag graced the group with another pearly grin. What a lovely day it is when the cadaver welcomes Professor Goldstein. And welcome you are, my mustachioed master. It's been years, I think. Artag bowed lightly. Yes, old boy, so it has. I do recall the leisure and levity to be found at your respectable, if grimly christened establishment. And lo to those that fail to recognize the greatness of your character disguised by your diminutive stature. <laughs> oh, did I miss the overwhelming effluence of language that sprouts from that mustache of yours? I do hope you've brought that overloaded coach of yours. Always, old boy! Then we'll have business later. 
Come, bring the whole crew with you. Artag made his way from behind the bar, careful to make eye contact with his guards around the room. Gafgar noted Artag's build. Though small in stature, he was built like a bull. He led the group through a doorway between the bar and a staircase leading up to the second floor. Inside was a long hallway filled with the aroma of cooking. As they walked down it, they passed the kitchen, a busy affair with multiple stoves and several hands about. Pallard! I'll be in my office. A young man in an apron jogged from the kitchen back down the hallway, presumably to man the bar. Artag continued past several doors before he reached the last. A simple aperture with a shiny bronze handle placed low so that he didn't stretch to reach it. He led the entourage in. Inside was a monument to luxury, an abode of tasteful opulence. His furniture was all of dark mahogany, consisting of several bookcases, a large desk, several chairs, a couch, a round table, and shelves. One corner of the room was partitioned by a wall, presumably for a bedroom. A deep red carpet covered most of the floor under the chairs and table. Matching pillows with copper-colored tassels adorned the seating. Behind the desk, cluttered with papers, was a large, upended barrel on a stand bearing the elegantly carved legs of a lion. Gafgarn liked the spigot extended from the barrel and the ornate flagons shaped like upward-facing lion heads. He'd never seen a lion in real life, but they looked like formidable creatures, akin to the great bears and wolves of his realm. You like lions? Well, I sure hope so. My pa and I were awarded that set and that keg stand for 30 years of innkeeping and brewing. The lion's the symbol of Estel Ring Kingdom. At least, the royal family Estel. We're two generations into that one now. We'll see how long that lasts. Gafgarn approached the keg, admiring it. Maybe you'd like a drink? Artag asked, grabbing a tankard and hoisting it Gafgarn's way. Of what? Mead. My family's brew. The inn doubles as a distillery and an extension outback. Gafgarn twisted the tab on the spigot, letting the thick, golden-brown fluid fill the lion's mouth. Mm, mead. Before I united the clans, they met in peace once a year for a mead-brewing competition. I don't know if we're more proud of our mead or our fighting. One often leads to another, and not always in the same order. Figured you for an outlander, but with the wolf on your head. It's rumored the mead from the wilds is unmatched. I wouldn't mind testing that rumor. Gafgarn savored the aroma before taking a large pull. It was a full-bodied affair, with touches of honey and spices that left a tingle on the back of the throat. He wiped a dribble on his chin with a sleeve and commented, mm, Not bad. Best I've had in your kingdom so far. We haven't been in business this long because of our impressive height. Come, have a seat. I'll stand. Suit yourself, but none of the furniture bites. You don't know furniture like I do. Artag sat in the fancy lounger with the group huddled about and began. Odd group you have here, Ileda. Two outlanders, it seems, with the professor no less. What brings you into the wasted cadaver? We're looking for someone. Well, of course you are. What kind of hunter isn't at any time? But with a crew like this, must be special, am I right? This mark would stand out. Albino skin, jester hat, might have a young woman with him. Yes, old boy. Barely a woman with golden hair most likely looks distressed. He's medium height, so he might look a little tall to you. Oh, ha ha, right. A height joke. Very original, lass. If you were listening, I already beat you to it. When would this fella have come into town? No more than a day ago. Not long before we came into the city just now. Artag scratched his beard and thought. Mm, no, can't say I've seen or heard of him. You sure he's here? I may have seen him coming this way from Hosto. Well, I've been in the inn most of the last few days. I can't say I see much of the city anymore. It's not safe if you want to stay neutral. Neutral? Aye. Everyone is on a side these days. The two ducal houses and the king. 
It looks all fine and dandy on the surface, but as per usual in the kingdoms, there's warfare beneath the pomp and politics. Warfare? It's a city, not a war zone. Nothing in the kingdoms is as it seems, Outlander. The ducal houses have been jockeying for power for decades now, and the city's underbelly is where all that tasty jockeying happens. The guard and knights are the kings, but his eyes are on expansion as always. His main army is away even now, fighting over a blasted hill. He underestimates the city's criminal element, and the regular folks here pay the price. Protection taxes, grifting, extortion, and worse. Play by their rules, pay their protection taxes, or they take you out of the game. Your leaders just let this happen? Amadi interjected, her voice bearing teeth. Sally responded. For centuries, everywhere in the kingdoms. So we're left in the middle to be part of it or a victim of it. Amadi gave her a vicious look. No, there's another choice. A people can keep their leaders responsible for their own actions. I agree. Aye, we've had our fair share of revolutions too. Sometimes it comes from the gangs themselves. Just a replacement of one crown for another. But this time we have a full-fledged citizen uprising on our hands. They're collectively called the Fox, named after their leader, supposedly. I'm sure you saw the signs coming in. Between the king, the ducal houses, and their gangs, and the Fox, the city's a bubbling cauldron ready to spill over. The gangs leave the wasted cadaver because we work with the guild. And like everyone else, they're afraid of crossing that line. But it's only a matter of time before even that won't matter. Things looked fine out there. Look closely. Stay in the city for more than a few nights, and you'll see the signs, I'm sure. Just be careful after dark. Thanks, Artag. If you hear anything about AJ, let us know, okay? Hold there, lass. I like you, and I'm happy I've got the guild's protection. But a stay at the cadaver isn't as cheap as it once was. Particularly because you and your friends are going to attract a lot of attention. Oi! Sounds like we're being gouged! The guild pays for the muscle you saw guarding the place, but that's it. Keeping you and your charges safe has become harder than ever. This is the safest place in the city by reputation alone. But when that cauldron spills over, no one's going to avoid the flood. Higher prices mean insurance. I could hire more guards on my own, and worse comes to worse, our ticket out of the city. Don't worry, old boy. Between myself and the hunter here, we can pay any price. He reached into his jacket and took out a piece of iron similar to a coin. He flipped it casually to Aleda, who caught it. Upon inspection, she saw it bore a smudge of blood and the character's 10S and smidgen. The last she saw of this, she had tossed it at smidgen's ruined corpse. Wither continued, You drop that. Take Gafgorn with you to collect. Don't argue. Take credit for the kill. While you're doing that, Artag and I have other business to discuss, don't we, old boy? Ah, uh, I better pour myself a flagon for that bit. Elena, our business is sound. There are plenty of rooms available when you're ready to claim them. Thanks. Pocketing the piece of metal. We'll see you later. As Aleda rose to leave, the others followed suit. Gafgarn drained what was left of his tankard and nodded to Artag, who responded with a hefty grin. Then the group left to brave the city of Esthelring. Aleda led the group with an eager pace. After some time navigating the winding streets and narrow alleys, their troop came to a building of brick and mortar. A great bronze medallion, emblazoned with the arrowhead symbol of the guild, hung by chains above the entryway between two wood columns carved with spirals. Bold red tile decorated the angular swooping roof, which stretched out beyond the building's walls, creating broad eaves. A wooden fence extended to the left of the building, hiding a small courtyard, housing stables and a blacksmith. Elena entered through the building's arched doorway, the group trailing behind her. The interior of the building was spacious. A lounge stretched invitingly beyond an ascending stairway. Luxurious, stout armchairs were surrounded by walls populated with paintings of natural scenery, 
like snowy mountains and seasonal forests. Several polished weapons, blades still keen, sat on wooden placards and beautifully carved racks. Crystal decanters, their liquids of gold and brown sparkling from sunlight from high, narrow windows, rested on stout shelves. A counter ran along the entire back wall. In that wall were two doorways, one of which was a heavy metal affair. Aleda made her way in that direction, and the group followed. Gafgarn found himself mesmerized by the room. He was disappointed to find there was no hammer present, but each piece of weaponry was exquisite. Though hardly an artist, he found the paintings equally entrancing. Their depictions of natural vistas, particularly mountains, making him think of home. A grin graced his beleaguered features. He wandered in that space, appreciating its decor and its notable lack of dust, until he found a recliner lined with fur. So lost in his reverie was he, that he forgot himself and quickly eased into the chair, which promptly shot out from beneath him. Gafgarn hit the floor hard, then launched himself back onto his feet. He looked back at the chair with a grimace, then at his comrades, now waiting at the counter. Beyond it was a new body, a man in a leather vest and long-sleeved ruffled shirt, with a hand on the pommel of his blade and a very surprised look on his face. Gafgarn gave him a sneer as he rejoined the group, and the man relaxed with a shrug. Right, not too sure what that was about. Anyway, later. Yes, good to see you again. So soon. It's only been a few days. You got the scoundrel already? Yes, Baird, she said, slapping the bloodstained coin with Smidgen's name on the counter. Really? Well, story is, some giant from the east with a wolf cloak took the self-proclaimed bandit king out. Someone say like this big fella with the sitting issues? Barrett regarded Gafgarn with a grin. Gafgarn made to lean onto the counter threateningly, but then thought better of it and simply scowled. Word travels, doesn't it? <laughs> Don't fret, loss. Story is you were there too. Looks to me like you've been working together. Well, a kill in cooperation with others is still a kill for a hunter. Have you any proof? Head? Ear? Toe? Maybe skin one of those monstrous tattoos off him. Just these witnesses, all present during the act, except the lady in the robe. Amadi nodded her head at Barrett. Fine, the man sighed, then wrapped off a statement as if memorized by rote. Do all of ye swear under oath that a lady of the hawk have rights to claim this kill and pledge that your lives be forfeit to the guild's mercy should this vow be found untruthful? Gafgarn shared quizzical looks with Sully and Doran. A later motion for them to respond. Oi! Yes. Yeah. Good. Let me grab your reward. Barrett snatched up the coin, unperturbed by the crusted blood on it, and moved to the heavy metal door. He jingled a ring of keys as he unlocked the door. He entered beyond it into a small room and closed and locked the door behind him. A man with short, cropped blonde hair and a tailored beard approached the counter next to Aleda, nodding to her as he did. He wore a peculiar red outfit similar to Aleda's, with chain mail and plate pauldrons sewn into the fabric of his coat. Long time. Sounds like you bagged the bandit king. Harden. Yes, we did. Oh, with help? That's not surprising. You never were one to work alone. Aleda's body tensed briefly. I guess it's good someone finally took him out of the game. It's a shame he'll probably be replaced with some other egomaniac soon enough. But that's how we get paid, right? Aleda responded with a level stare. You always go big, don't you? Never the small marks. Heading out soon for the next big score? We'll be in town for a while now, actually. Leads on my next one say he's here. Oh, and who's that? You aren't going after one of the underbosses, are you? We all know what's going on in Ring, But that could be suicide. And if you're successful, 
you might bring the wrong type of notoriety to the guild. No, I'm not interested in the politics here. You're not still after the jester, are you? I might be. Arden put on a look of concern. You're gonna have to let that one go, Aleda. So you can net the huge bounty on his head? You know why. It's been proven time and time again that we should never make a hunt personal. People slip up, make mistakes, take things too far. We all know what happened. Everyone wants a piece of him. But for you, this is too deep. The wound, too fresh. Aleda grimaced at him. Sorry, he said, regarding her eye patch. I didn't mean that literally. Seriously, Aleda. Enough. Yes, I'm still looking for him, and evidence thus far suggests he's in the city. Here? Yes, here. And I'm going to find him and kill him. Because of what he did? He deserves it, but... Because he's an animal that needs to be put down. We both know why you're after him. Revenge is just going to get you killed. Let me know if you hear anything, will you? Hardin gave a look of resignation and nodded. Barrett returned to the counter with a sack of coins, which Aleda snatched up quickly. Thanks. See you later. The group left the building and into the street outside. Gafgarn placed a humongous hand on Aleda's shoulder to stop her walking. Revenge! It's none of your business. Just let me do my job. My people are relying on me to fix my problem. They need me before they're at each other's throats again. And peace or not, without my leadership, it's only a matter of time before my people or the kingdoms start another war. If this thing with AJ is personal, I don't have a problem with that. I just need to know you won't screw this up. It's personal to you, too. Not like you. On that bridge in Hosto, he got the better of you with a piece of wood. You let your guard down. On the road, you didn't seem to have any problems taking out the whole crew of bandits. Your friend back there might have a point. I'm fine. AJ, he took your eye, didn't he? Aleda raised up on her toes and poked a solid finger into Gafgarn's chest as she spoke. Ask me again and I'll smack that cloak right off your head. I don't care how big and tough you think you are. I'm going to find some leads. We should split up and canvas the city. Don't follow me. I'll see you tonight at the cadaver. With that, Aleda turned into the crowd of city folk and stormed off. So, what do we do now? Uh, oi, have we done enough talking and traipsing yet? Gafgarn looked at Amadi, who seemed unconcerned, and remarked. You've been pretty quiet. She smiled. I'm new to these lands. To you. I preferred to observe and listen. You're a curious group. Right. So, what are you going to do? I haven't really thought about that yet. This has all been so intriguing. I know next to nothing about the kingdoms. Well, I think I'd like to get familiar with the area. If we're going to find AJ, that'll help. That might benefit me as well, though I can't stay in the city for long. We might be here a while. Maybe you should move on. Sully said with a hint of scorn in her voice. Gafgarn's eyebrows danced in surprise like tumbling acrobats. I'm curious about this AJ and the Taken girl. I'd like to help, and seeing as a free room waits for me, if I do, I'll work with you for the time being. But I'll explore the city on my own for now. Going to wander some more? That reminds me, before you said you were just a wanderer, Wither said you've come a long way, and I've never heard of your Doru. Why are you in the kingdoms? A pilgrimage you could say, to learn, to exact justice when I can. You just walking around, taking notes and whooping arse just for funnies? <laughs> Something like that. The whooping arse is my duty. Evil in all its forms is the prey of the benign fondwa. Big-eyed fartwad? 
Amadi stifled his amusement with a stony look. Benai Fondwa. My order. We ensure the injustices I've seen today never happen in Eudoru. And they don't. So, you're like the city guard of your people? Much more. But enough. We waste daylight. I'll keep my eyes open for this pale joker. Amadi adjusted her hat slightly and nodded to her three comrades before joining the stream of bodies flowing through the street. Gafgarn watched her hat bounce in the crowd before turning to Sully, growling, What's your problem, Sully? She crossed her arms and met his fierce gaze. You really believe that, Lode? Aye, Gaff. Her story is as clean as a latrine. I wouldn't buy that tribe if it was free. I know she's hiding something, but what I meant was your attitude. Sully looked at the ground, sullen. She thinks everything's so simple. Not everyone gets to choose their life. You mean what she said about the orphans? They didn't get a chance to choose. It's not their fault if they turn to crime, if that's all they have. Amadi thinks she's so much better than everyone else. Like, life's so simple. She'd sooner kill Dorn and me if she knew we were bandits only days ago. You're right. She would. She would try. I'm your boss, remember? Thanks, boss. She just... She just really got to me. No one's going to look out for those kids, not in the way they should be anyway. They stay in the church, brainwashed and afraid, or they leave and fend for themselves. She talks like she doesn't even care what that's like. Sounds like you do. Sully kicked lightly at a loose rock and nodded her head. He placed a hefty paw on her shoulder and continued. Don't worry about her, though. She is right about one thing. We don't have time for excuses. Your past is yours, but I need you now to do your job and do it well. So let's get moving and find this bastard with my gauntlets. Sully nodded and the three moved into the crowd. No one noticed the two figures huddled in the shadows of a nearby alley. They watched Gafgarn, Doran, and Sully with eager eyes. You, follow them. I'll tell them, madam, they're here. That's the one she wants, right? Yep, big wolf cloak. A not from around here look. Couldn't be anyone else. I'll tell them. That crazy comedian will be interested too. Looks like we'll all be having some fun tonight. Catch up with you later. The speaker trotted down the alley, while the other moved into the crowd in Gafgarn's direction. No one noticed another body move from a different alley into the crowd on that same street either. In the street, passing townfolk gave curious glances at his white clothes with asymmetrical, intricate, colorful designs, his wooden, stilt-like flat shoes, and his wide-brimmed, woven flat hat. Many of those townsfolk swore they had just seen a woman dressed just like him pass only moments ago. And that's this chapter of Gafgarn the Eternally Unfurnished. What is up with Amadi? This hardened punk. Looks like Aleda's got some competition. Kingdom gangs? The Fox? Sully's from an orphanage? Obviously the same orphanage as Agapantha. What is their real relationship? You know Sully's not Agapantha's aunt. By the way, if you don't know who Agapantha is, you need to go to our Patreon site. P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Chronosphere. And listen to Agapantha. This is gonna cross over. You know it. The voices of your narrator, Gafgarn, Wither, Doran and a certain sneak thief are Mike Bethel. Elada is Megan Soloff. Sully is Dr. Michelle Booz. Imadi is Deborah Cristobal. 
Our tag is Warren Clark. Harden and Sneak Thief number two is Jadine Garcia. Music, sound effects, and sound design are done by Daniel French at Fishbonious Sound Design. Visit fishbonious.com, F-I-S-H-B-O-N-I-U-S, where we will also have transcripts and information and a press kit. Gafgarn the Eternally Unfurnished is written by Jeremiah Sundance French. Visit his blog at drunkenmarmoset.com. Soon, Jeremiah Sundance French's written work of Aussie Artificial Superintelligence will be gracing your presence on Chronosphere Fiction. Send your comments or story submissions to chronosphere-fiction at cox.net. C-O-X. Here is an obligatory promo for another podcast. Hi, I'm Chris. I'm the Believer. I'm Cody. I'm the Skeptic. And together we are BSP, the Idiot Syncrasy Files. The podcast where two idiots discuss weird phenomena. This week we're talking about ghosts. I believe in ghosts. Why? There's too much weird stuff in the world for it to be coincidental. See, I don't, because ghosts are souls, and shirts, pants, and jockstraps do not have souls. These ghosts should be naked. My jockstrap has a soul. (laughs) (laughs) Moving on. Join us every week where we talk about cool phenomena ranging from... Skinwalkers. To... Simulacra. There you go. Bye! Find us on Google Play, iTunes, and all those other podcasting places. Or visit us at www.bspodphx.com. Hey, this is Clay. This is Corey. And we are the Two Dads Review Podcast. Uh, What do we talk about, Corey? Movies? Yes. Uh, TV shows? Yes. And we're dads? Are those all questions? Yes. Oh, okay. Well, find all that and more over at twodadsreview.com and your favorite podcast app. Well, it's time for the Chronosphere to launch back into the spectral streams. Soon we'll be bringing you Chapter 2 of Generation Z and a story from Mark Slade called Prayer Mask. Remember out there, keep your cosmos clean.